let's read the Bible together. Isaiah 9, verses 2 to 6. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Well, good day, everybody. It's great to be with you today as we church together online. Now, it's sad but true that it doesn't matter who you are, every day we all face conflict. Uh, we're constantly reminded of a war somewhere in the world. Uh, we might be struggling with problems with finances and money. Uh, we might be struggling with a health issue. Uh, and we can all get stressed with some kind of turmoil in our relationships, be it families or further afield. For the vast majority of us, we're a long way from finding peace on earth. But at Christmas time, um, you'll hear this louder call for peace and peace on earth. Even in the face of what seems to be unavoidable and unstoppable conflict. Probably one of the most famous examples was uh, around 1914 in World War I. At Christmas time, the war was in full swing, and then some English and German generals called for a series of ceasefires along the Western Front. And there we had British and German soldiers meeting in no man's land to exchange gifts, take photographs, and even play games of soccer with each other. So there you have an international peace inspired by Christmas, even despite it was deep in the midst of war. Now, people, there's plenty of people around that want to cash in on Christmas and the entertainment industry is no different. And so at this time of the year, we get a constant stream of Christmas specials, movies, songs. Now, sadly, a lot of them are actually quite atrocious, um, but a lot of them aim for a decent moral teaching. And the moral, you're not surprised. At Christmas time, let's stop the fighting. Let's get along with each other. And so if we had an international peace before, this is more personal. Let's, let's get into personal peace at this time of the year. And then sometimes you can get those big hopes and dreams of national peace and personal peace rolled into one. And so we have John Lennon's famous Christmas song. He cashed in on Christmas as well. And his song was simply called Happy Christmas, War is Over. Here's some of the words. And so this is Christmas for weak and for strong, for the rich and the poor ones, the road is so long. And so, happy Christmas, for black and for white, for yellow and red ones, let's stop all the fight. You might remember that song, and actually all through that song, almost like around in the background, there's a choir singing in this constant refrain saying, the war is over if you want it. 
So if you walk down the street and ask people what Christmas is all about, I'm pretty sure you'd get a common answer. And that would be Christmas is a festival that calls for the end of conflict. It's a, ki a time for reconciliation, a time for peace. So why all this fuss about peace at Christmas? Well, we just read it, didn't we? It's because of Jesus, and Jesus was called the Prince of Peace. But did the arrival of Jesus on that first Christmas mean an end to every kind of conflict? Did he bring that? Well, before we dig into that question, why don't we pray that God would help us to understand his word and to also have his mind in these thinking about peace. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do uh, thank you that we can gather together online and that we can still hear and reflect upon your word. And so, Lord, as we do that now, help us to have your mind. Help us to see the areas where we can change and come and walk closer to you. And so we do pray, Lord, that you would open our ears, uh, open our minds and change our hearts. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so there's the question I posed earlier. What is all the fuss about, about having peace at Christmas time? Well, traditionally, it's a response to the promise that we're looking forward to in Jesus. And we read it earlier from Isaiah. I read it again from verse 6. For to us, a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then on that first Christmas night, the angel came to the shepherds and this is what they said to them. Today, in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. Well, that begs that question. What do they mean? on earth peace? Well, let's begin by answering the question by saying what they did not mean. First of all, they didn't mean that it was a peace between nations. The angels did not mean a political or international peace. For if that was the case, then the coming of Jesus has been a complete and utter failure. Um, there's always been wars and they only seem to be becoming more commonplace. And the reality of ever-present conflict can make us cynical when we hear the words, on earth, peace. But Jesus himself was quite explicit that he had not come to bring international peace. Listen to some of his words um, a little bit later on in Luke's Gospel. As Jesus looked ahead into the future, this is what he said. When you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, nations will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And then we look around ourselves today, we see that that reality is consistent with what Jesus predicted. So Jesus is saying that his task in coming to earth was not about bringing about political or international peace. Okay, well that's on the national level, international level. What about, what about the personal level? Did Jesus come to bring peace 
between us, between individuals. Now, I wonder how you picture Jesus. Um, do you think of him as like a, a smiling guru, dispensing good vibes to his devoted followers? It's a very popular vision, I think. And if Christians are doing it right, well then, they'll get along with everybody. They'll, be, they'll love everybody, and everybody will love them. Is this the type of peace that Jesus brings? Well, have a listen again to Jesus' words from Luke's Gospel. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two and two against three. Oh, they're shocking words. I mean, this shatters that picture of Jesus, the smiling guru. What he's saying here is he says, he has come to bring division. And anyone who chooses to follow him, well, they may experience conflict even at the most intimate relationships within family. People will be mad at Jesus. Jesus here we see is like a, a stirrer. So, we come back to that first question. Well, then what are the Jesus talking about? What are the angels talking about? I mean, if it's not peace between people, it's not peace about between nations, then what are they talking about? Well, a clue for us is if we look back to Luke chapter 1. Now, Jesus had an uncle called Zechariah, and he sings a song about his son John and about how he will prepare the way for Jesus. Look at how he says John will do it. From Luke chapter 1. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord and prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Can you see? The path of peace will come through the forgiveness of sins. So the peace that the angels have been speaking about is not about peace between nations, it's not about peace between people. The peace that Jesus brings is peace between us and God. The peace that Jesus brings is between us and God. You see, friends, we've all fallen out with God. We're at war with Him. And there's a need for forgiveness and reconciliation. And in the coming of Jesus, God comes to make peace with people who are at war with Him. And so we sing those sorts of words in the carols, don't we? We sing, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. God offers forgiveness in order to establish peace between us and him. Now, you might be thinking, well, I don't think I've fallen out with God. Um, we haven't spoken for a while, but um, there's no hard feelings. Maybe you're thinking, well, I'm, I'm quite neutral with God. He rarely crosses my radar, but I'm not mad at him. I don't bother him if he won't bother me. Well, then again, it begs that question, what type of God are you neutral about? Is it the God of the Bible? Or is it the God of your own imagining? 
If you have the last few weeks, we've been saying, we've got to look beyond the manger and see who Jesus really is. The angels did not come to the shepherds and say, today is born to you in, town of, in the town of David a very special baby. Now, how did they describe him? They said, he is the king, the Lord. Isaiah described him as mighty God. Friends, we have to lift our eyes from the nativity scene and gaze upon the Messiah, the mighty God of all. At the end of the Bible, we see a very different picture of Jesus, where John reports the vision that he had. And he says he saw Jesus there, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. Friends, you don't want to be an enemy of this Jesus. You can't ignore the Jesus that's described here in Revelation. We see him there as mighty God and ruler. Now, if we're willing to listen to the true God, then we'll start to understand the bleak position that we're in. Because when God shines his light into the dark crevices of our life, our failings are exposed. The ways in which we willingly disobey God and purposely ignore him. The ways in which we fall short of his perfect standard. Even when we do our best, we fail again and again. This is our sin laid bare before God. And if we're honest with ourselves, we'll admit that, well, we are an enemy of God. And it picks up the very personal nature of our sin. What we're doing is we're rejecting relationship. God made us to be in a personal relationship with him. And in our sin, we reject that. Now, the amazing thing is this. In spite of all that hurt that we've generated in the heart of God, Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, willingly and lovingly and deliberately climbs onto the cross to die in our place, to take the punishment that we deserve. And when did he do that? When we were enemies. Here's a love friend that breaks all the rules. You see, when you were at your worst, God gave us his best. It's a great phrase that a friend of mine likes to say over and over again. When we were at our worst, God gave us his best. This is, this is rule-breaking love. And it's really hard to illustrate because the world just doesn't operate like this. We see the Apostle Paul struggling with this idea as well. As he wrote his letter to the Romans, we see it here again on screen. You see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless... Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still 
sinners. Christ died for us. And you might lay down your life for a family member or a very close friend, but you're not going to die for an enemy. I mean, think of all those war films that have been made. In those films, you'll see a lot of sacrifice, a lot of heroism. You'll, you'll see soldiers laying down their lives for their fellow soldiers, but you won't see, for example, a British soldier taking a bullet for a Nazi. The world just doesn't work that way. But the patent gets broken here in a way that you will not find anywhere else in human history. Just think about it for a moment. What's one of the worst things to have in life? It'd be an enemy, would it not be? And what's one of the most valuable things you can give? In fact, what's the most valuable thing you can give? Would be your life. So the two, the two just don't go together, except at one point in history, at the cross, when Jesus laid down his life for you and for me, while we were still enemies. That's how God demonstrates his love for us. And it's the ultimate definition of love. Friends, God doesn't want to be your enemy. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, has come to bring reconciliation between us and God. And so God comes to us now with a, a peace treaty in his hands. He's done everything necessary to fulfill the terms of that treaty. It's been signed with the blood of Jesus Christ who died for you so that you could become God's friend. And so to use that refrain again from the song, the war is over if you want it. Well, when we have a peace treaty, there's, there's three options we can have when we're faced with a, a peace treaty. Option one, well, we can simply take that treaty, we can tear it up, walk away, and stay at war. It begs the question, why? Why would you do that? Why would I choose to reject such extraordinary love? What is worth more to me than being at peace with God? God wants the war to be over. Why don't you? And then there's the second option. You can recognize that you're at war with God, but not be ready yet to surrender. Um, you might need to say, I, I need some times to, to look over the terms and conditions of the treaty. Well, if you're interested in finding out more about this offer of love, then it's a good thing to be on, a good path to be on. So keep talking to your friends, your Christian friends, keep coming to church, keep reading the Bible. We're more than happy to keep talking to you about the great peace treaty that God has for you. So keep looking into that. But of course, there's a third option when it comes to the, the peace treaty, and that is to recognize that you have been at war with God, but you're ready. You're ready to surrender to Him. You might be ready to recognize that there is peace to be had between you and God, and you want to move from being an enemy to a friend. We're going to move from war to peace with God. And if that's the case, why don't you join me now as I close in prayer with a prayer of repentance that you can pray in your own heart, saying you want to 
you want the war to be over and to be at peace with God, let's pray. Dear God, I accept the verdict that I have been ungodly, a sinner and an enemy of yours. Thank you so much for loving me and allowing your son to die in my place so that I can be at peace with you. Please help me and change me so to walk with you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.